Father, we thank you this evening for an opportunity to minister to your people. We ask the Holy Spirit you be in charge of today's session. And above all, you teach us because you are the author of the Bible. We thank you for what we will learn today. will be life-changing because we will be doers of the word as we hear it when we'll mix it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening, church. Welcome to the first week of fall 2022. Um, in this part of our world, seasons. So it should really remind us about the season of everything. Any season that you are in is just temporal. A minute is sunshine, the next minute leaves are dying and we are getting ready to wear jackets again. So let that encourage you that no situation, let's say even an unpleasant situation in your life is permanent. Amen. Very soon the clocks will fall back and we will just be living life all over again. Amen. As, as we have been living anyway. So thank God. Well, last week Sunday was very powerful. We bless God and I'm very thankful for the life of Reverend Benedict Utu. We, we had a service. We were blessed. Those, those of us who were there, uh, we could attest to that. Uh, God really moved on Sunday. And it's not like he doesn't move on other days, but he, um, this was very special. Uh, the word of God was preached in its full power. And we are grateful to God for that. So the, I've, I've listened to the message over and over again. And what a blessing. Amen. Well, last week, like you you all rightly said, we rounded up chapter three by looking at Paul's fifth desire, which was explained in detail in the closing verses. I think one of our contributors did make mention of something. When Paul realized the gospel through knowing Christ, he had new discoveries and new desires. So two discoveries was all things that were gained to him were rubbish or they were dank. Number two, he subscribed to the righteousness of God, which is far higher than the righteousness of man. And I believe last week, Sunday, we did hear a lot about that, which now led him to five new desires. He had different desires now. And he had the desire to know Christ, a desire to understand the significance of resurrection, a desire to suffer for the gospel, a desire to be a new creation, and a desire to be part of the resurrected. So the closing verses of chapter 3, especially from verse 12, really talks more on the fifth desire, on what Paul meant that by he wants to be part of the resurrection. Amen. So that is what we looked at. We concluded that the Christian has one goal, only one goal. And what is the goal? The goal is to press. And just like one of you rightly said, press towards the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
so you can have many sub goals, but you have one main goal as a Christian. Amen. Uh, it takes maturity of mind to have an eternal view of things as we looked at in verse 15. Amen. So but chapter 3, verse 15, lets us know that for us to really press on and have eternity in view, we need to have maturity of mind. Amen. All then went ahead to talk about the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly. And one of the things that was centered on was their mind is on earthly things, which led us to talk about we shouldn't put our mind on earthly things. And I think we read first John chapter 2. It talks about the last of the eyes, um, the last of the flesh, and the pride of life. All these are earthly things. When we put our mind on these things, our, our end goal will be distraction. Amen. So now we are looking at the last chapter of our book. So today we are focusing on the first five verses of chapter four. Amen. So this is the last chapter of the book of Philippians. So go with me to Philippians chapter four and let's start from verses one to five. Philippians chapter four, verses one to five. Therefore, my beloved, and long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You know, Paul really loved this church. You see the affectionate tone here. One of the things that strikes me, or I don't know if it also strikes you if you read the Bible, is you never start a statement with therefore. Therefore, here is a continuing statement because the meaning of the word therefore is for this reason or on this ground. So you see, it's a continuing statement. So what is Paul really trying to say? So to understand this, we have to read from verse 17 of the previous chapter. Then we will be able to gain full concept of what verse 1 of chapter 4 really means. So for us to really understand what Paul is meaning by on this reason, for this reason, I'm sorry, or on this ground, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Let's start from verse 17 of chapter 3 again. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. So on this ground, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Does it, does it make sense? All right. So we realize that the reason why Paul started chapter 4, verse 1, mind you, the Bible was not even written in chapters and verses. It's just added there to bring a little bit more order and clarity. Paul admonished the believer to follow his example of pursuing the heavenly goal, that their citizenship is in heaven, and that the resurrection will be a moment of transformation. So that's three things that you can get from verses 17 to 21. To follow his example of pursuing the heavenly goal. And what's the heavenly goal? Press on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And what does it mean? It means to be part of the resurrection. So that's the goal. Follow my goal. Understand that your citizenship is not in Philippi. Or your citizenship is not you are Macedonian. Because the city of Philippi is in the region of Macedonia. So you are not a Macedonian. You are not. Your citizenship is in heaven. Even though I'm writing to you, your citizenship is in heaven. Thirdly, understand that the resurrection will be a moment of transformation. It's a moment of transformation where your lowly body will be conformed to his glorious body. Understand that. And when you understand these on this ground, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and cry in the Lord, I want you to stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. So that's the reason why we have to stand fast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pressing on towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There is every reason for us to stand fast in the Lord. Amen. Now, Paul used an interesting word here, crown. The word crown here is not a monarchical one, all right? I know for the past weeks or so, we've all heard of the death of Queen Elizabeth and Charles is now coronated as the king of England. So it's not talking about that crown. That crown that he's talking about is a crown of achievements that is given to athletes. So I don't know. I like I like um, sports. I if if you do remember the Olympics and one of the events I like watching the Olympics. If you do remember the Olympics, especially the two thousand and four in in Greece or Athens to be precise, when when the athletes, the top three, those who win the gold, silver, and the bronze, they are always given a, a crown made of branches. 
before they give them their gold medal. That, that, that never seems to happen in any other country. But the reason they did that was because it was some historic Greek culture. That was common. So when Paul is talking about the crown, that is what he's referring to. Standing on the podium, competing in athletics, waiting for your reward. So Paul is calling them that you guys are my crown, my crown of achievements, and you are my joy. Amen. Now, one of the things that we learn here is that because of the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, we need to stand fast in the Lord. Now, what's the meaning of the word stand fast in the Lord? It means to persist in fellowship with the Lord. So that, that is the unbroken fellowship with God. Yesterday, during our prayer meeting, I believe that's what we prayed about, the grace and the discipline to maintain connection to God. That's unbroken fellowship. So it would take having the grace and discipline to maintain unbroken fellowship with God for us to really come to that place where we will strive for the goal of the upward call in Christ Jesus. If you are not maintaining an active, vibrant relationship with God through prayer, reading and studying the Bible, fellowshipping with like-minded believers, listening to good worship music, reading solid Christian books, and the like, because it's many. It's many things that you have to do in the nutshell. But the two main things, two main things are prayer and then reading and studying the Bible. All other things are secondary. But if you are not doing these things, you will not be able to have an unbroken fellowship with the Lord. And if you don't have an unbroken fellowship with the Lord, the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, it will be out of sight. So what will make us have the goal in sight or the goal in view is to have unbroken fellowship with God. And there are means by which we can have unbroken fellowship with God. Prayer, reading and studying the Bible, listening to good worship music, fellowshipping with like-minded believers. That really helps a lot. In my personal life, I believe one of the reasons why I attained maturity was just fellowshipping with like-minded believers. That helped me more than anything. That helped me. Picked up some healthy habits. I was able to pray because I saw people who prayed. And, you know, it's like you learn by association. Some virtues also rub on you. You know, you try to understand why do you do that, why do you do that. Even for me, notes taken now. I do take notes. I don't think I was born to take notes. I took notes because of a friend. He always took notes. Always took notes. I learned that from him. He taught me that. He did not even really teach me that by really sitting down and telling me points one, two, three, four, five are the reasons why you should take notes. But more of his lifestyle and seeing the benefits of note taking in his personal life now forced me to also come to church with a note. So you see, you, you learn things. You learn, right? So 
fellowshipping with like-minded believers helps. You know, watching good Christian preaching helps. And I need to qualify that because today there's all sorts, all types of preaching there. But you need to be able to filter that preaching through the lens of God's written word. Amen. So there are many activities that will encapsulate to us having unbroken fellowship with the Lord. And I think that needs to be stressed if we will have the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus in view. Amen. Now let's look at verse 2. I implore Eudoia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So in verse 2 to 3, three names are mentioned in these verses that we must take note of. The apostle urged two ladies who were fellow workers with Paul to reconcile. Okay, they were feuding. So feuds didn't start today. It, it happens. Even if you read the book of Acts, there was a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of divisions. Even Paul, the writer, he was involved in quite a number of them. But at the end of the day, you say it's okay to have misunderstanding, but you should not allow the misunderstanding to disintegrate to a feud or a strife. I think that's the difference between Paul and Eudoia and Sintike. He had misunderstandings, misgivings, okay? One man, he didn't flow with this one. This one. But when, he, when, when they separate, I don't think it brings about a strife. It's just a misunderstanding we can move on. So it's okay. So sometimes you might have different views due to many reasons. Sometimes because of passion. Maybe what you are passionate about might not be passionate about. One, one of the problems with the early church was there were some people, especially if you read the book of Acts, there were some people who were passionate about the gospel going to the Gentiles. Others didn't share that same passion. So this was where Paul and some of the leaders had a disagreement. Okay, so Paul was like, go and preach to the Gentiles. We will be here. And it's a, it's a, it's a misunderstanding. And a misgiving. It happens. Amen. So these ladies were instructed by Paul to, um, 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 that, to the Philippians that they should help and make sure that they are of the same mind. It was reiterated. Now, this is not the first time that we see the phrase, be of the same mind. There's a repeated phrase. So when you read Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, we can go there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul said something there. He said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, 
of one mind. Then he repeats the same thing in chapter 4, verse 2. Be of the same mind in the Lord. It's, uh, when you read the commentary of this, most commentators, not just one commentary, but if you look at a whole lot of commentators, many commentators are of the view that Paul wrote the letter because of these two ladies. That's what many of them are coming to a consensus, which uh, maybe it might, it might probably be correct because, it, it, it because of the same instruction repeated two times in four chapters. Many have come to a conclusion that, of course, Paul wrote the letter because he loved them. Paul wrote the letter because he wanted to explain joy to them. But he also had in mind these two precious ladies because these ladies were fellow co-laborers with Paul. And Paul wanted to make sure that by the time the letter gets to them, they will be able to get some sort of inspiration to bring those feuding sisters in harmony and in peace. So I find it amazing that if you read different commentaries, different commentators are of that notion. That is probably so. Amen. So the cause of the feud is unknown, but the, 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 the end goal or the big picture is that Paul wanted a truce between Eudoia and Syntyche. Whatever that might have been their fight. So... <laughs> Fighting among church leaders, co-workers, is nothing new. Amen. I think the big picture here is that it shouldn't disintegrate into a feud where strife is being promoted. And, you know, a, a, a church where an atmosphere of strife becomes very prevalent, you don't see the move of God. Amen. You don't see the move of God. So it should be very much discouraged. Amen. It should be discouraged. Paul then went ahead to commend Clement. And legend has it, Clement actually became the bishop of Rome. You know, the church of Rome was a very influential church around that time. Many believe that this Clement became the bishop of Rome. He was a fellow laborer of Paul. So Paul mentions three people in verses two to three. Two were feuding, they were ladies, and then one became a bishop. Amen. But then Paul gives a prescription of, of how to not walk in strife. And that's in verse four. So let's read verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So that's how to squash strife. That's how to squash feuds. Despite the circumstances from which the book was written, joy is all over the letter. I hope you realize that in the four chapters that we have read so far, joy is all over the letter. So look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 4.
Let me then start from verse 3. I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with joy. So you see right there? Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. So you see the word joy again. Rejoice comes from the word joy. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith. Verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for my coming to you again. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. Let me even start from verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Please, can someone do me a favor? If you have your slide, could you make it ready? I will make the share content available so that you could share it, so that we could stand on it to pray. I just remember that I'm using my laptop, so... Amen. Chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now, we can continue from verses 17 to 18. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Verse 18, for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter 2, verse 28. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you, it is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Then verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirits, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Then finally, chapter 4, verse 1, which we just read a while ago. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So you see, joy is replete in the book of Philippians. Everywhere you see the word joy. Amen. So for us to really come to a place where we will work in harmony, 
where like Paul was said in Ephesians 4 3, we'll walk in the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace for us to come to that level where there'll be no feuds and strife, we will need to cultivate the fruits of joy. That is what it will take. Now, permit me to read Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest minds, Christian minds who we're blessed with. He wrote a commentary on this, and I would like to read it. I'm glad that we do not know what the quarrel was about. I'm usually thankful for such ignorance on these subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the apostle says, rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally rise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Amen. And that's Charles Spurgeon. So when you see a believer who is often involved in feuds and strife, it is a sign that joy is not made perfect. Amen. Some believers, they like fighting. Every department you put them, you always have to extinguish the fire. You put them in counseling departments, there's going to be confusion. You put them in the choir, there'll be confusion. You put them any any department you put them in. Yes, they might be spiritual and anointed and everything, but everywhere they go, there always has to be strife. It's not a good thing. It means you are not obeying chapter 4 of Philippians verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say again, rejoice. When the fruit of joy is made perfect, when the fruit of joy is maturing in us, we will not like to argue. We will not like to be in disagreements. And we will not like to promote strife. You know, one of the advice that Paul gave to Timothy, his protege, is a man of God should not strive. I think 2 Timothy chapter 2. Shouldn't strive. You shouldn't strive. You shouldn't quarrel. Because if you are engaged in quarrels, you now promote an atmosphere of strife, which is a very toxic environment. So perhaps... I'm just using my imagination. Maybe the Philippian church had a toxic environment because two church workers who were very prominent. See, these were not just ordinary church workers. These were people who worked with Paul. Fellow workers. They were not on good terms. And throughout the Bible, there are many things that cause strife. But one thing that can really cause strife is factions. When you read especially... First Corinthians chapter 3. Some people say that I am of Apollos. Some say I am of Paul. Because of that, there was strife in the Corinthian church. There are many things that promote strife. And I, if I even want to go through that, I might even divert 
from the course of my study. Amen. So we have to make sure that we eliminate all sources of strife. But one of the ways to keep ourselves strife-free is to allow joy to be made perfect in us. Amen. So when we have joy, we will not engage in strife. Would there be disagreements? They might be. But a disagreement should not disintegrate into strife. Because like I was saying, Paul, he had many disagreements, but he didn't allow any of the disagreements to disintegrate into strife. That is bound to happen. Disagreements are bound to happen. Okay? But don't let it disintegrate into strife. If it disintegrates into strife, maybe joy is bankrupting your spiritual work with God. So we need to come to a place where we have joy. Amen. One person, you are not talking to this, you are not talking to that, you are not talking to this, you are not talking to that, you are not talking to... You're almost an island. You don't have joy. You don't have joy. And you not talking to 12 people. It's not 12 people's faults. It's not. You have to really have a hard look in the mirror and perhaps say, joy is not being made perfect in me. It can't be 12 people's faults. Joy is not being made perfect in me. Because the day joy is made perfect in me, the day I, I, I experience the, the fruit of joy being manifested as a result of unbroken fellowship with the Lord, the last thing you will want to do is be cantankerous or promote strife. Amen. So strife is ungodly. So whenever there is strife and feuds, it might mean that as believers, we are not allowing joy to have its perfect work in us. Amen. So now let's look at verse 5. And we'll close today's study on verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The word gentleness here means fair or mild. So the apostle is admonishing us to have a fair and a mild disposition towards all men. You know, I was talking about fair here. It means uh, you don't discriminate. And when it's talking about mild here, it's talking about you are harmless, basically. Okay? So, let be, be fair. And people who are fair are firm. Be fair. Because it takes firmness not to be a, a discriminatory person. So, be fair. Sorry about firmness here. Anybody who is fair has very firm principles and conviction. It takes firmness to be fair. You, you, you can't be weak and be fair. It's lacking. Many people don't have the audacity and the boldness to be fair. It takes firmness to be fair. And yet be harmless. 
That's the meaning of gentleness here. King James Version uses the word moderation. Let your moderation be known to all men. So be fair and harmless to all men, knowing that the Lord is at hand. So the reason why Apostle is admonishing us to be fair and harmless is that we have to have in mind that the Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. Amen. A good example of this is when Jesus showed uh, gentleness to the woman when she was caught in adultery in the very act in John chapter 8. That was gentleness there. All right. So perhaps let's just read that scripture. John chapter 8. The Bible lets us know that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and he was teaching in the temple. And whilst teaching, there was this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. The Pharisees thought it wise to rudely interrupt Jesus' teaching session by dumping the woman. And they did that because they were evil and they wanted to test Jesus as the Bible says in verse 6. But the Bible lets us know in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, Who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. So this is John chapter 8, verse 8. Now I'm on verse 9. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So when Paul is talking about having a gentle disposition, this is what he's referring to. You see, what Jesus did was gentleness. He was fair, okay, but he was also harmless. Because the woman was in a very vulnerable state. Jesus didn't take advantage of a vulnerable woman. One of the traits of sexual predators is they take advantage over the vulnerable. Uh, that's all. That's all that they do. You have to be vulnerable. When you are vulnerable, you, are, you can easily be taken advantage of. Jesus could have easily taken advantage of the woman. And could have slept with her, but he was harmless to the woman even though the woman was in a very vulnerable state. Emotionally speaking, psychologically speaking, he took care of her. So he was harmless, but he was also fair. So Paul is saying that, let your gentleness be made known to men. Be fair, yet harmless. So what Jesus was doing, he, he had to be very fair. 
He wasn't biased. He didn't discriminate. Right. He didn't point all the blame at the woman. Some people are not fair. They will bring sex in right now. Some people will castigate all women because they are not fair. Some women will castigate all men because they are not fair. But a Christian conduct is that we are gentle. We are fair. It's good leadership. You have to be fair and firm because it takes firmness to be fair, but also be harmless. Amen. Apostle Paul is admonishing us through the living scriptures this evening that we should let our gentleness be known to all men. And we've looked at an example. Now, this word also describes, so that's the first definition. The first definition of gentleness is that you are fair and harmless, or you are fair and mild. The second definition is one who will allow God to fight his battles. You don't give in to vengeance. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, vengeance is mine, save the Lord. That's what you believe. You know, you don't, you don't fight your battles. You just allow God to fight your battles. Amen. Don't pay evil for evil. Allow God to fight your battles. It's better that way. Amen. You might, you might, you might be vengeful and you will just satisfy your canal longings. But after that, you will realize that there is no happiness in that. Allow God to fight your battles. That is also an aspect of gentleness. Not paying evil for evil. Let's allow God to fight your battles because vengeance is his. Amen. So in today's scripture, we've realized that joy affects our disposition towards all men. When we have the fruit of joy, we have gentleness. Amen. So let's bring our study home. Joy promotes the unity of the spirits in the bond of peace. So in the first five verses, you can only foster love, foster unity, foster peace when joy is being made perfect. And joy is the focus of our study. Until we come to a place of joy, we'll be ill-natured, we'll be cantankerous, and we'll promote an atmosphere of strife which is very toxic. Look, a, a place where there's an atmosphere of strife, it stifles the move of God. It stifles the operation of the Spirit. Don't entertain strife. That is why in Proverbs, somewhere in Proverbs, it says, cast out the scorner, contention shall cease, reproach and strife shall also Sees. I think it's Proverbs chapter 15, verse 10, if I'm correct. Could someone fact check me on that? Proverbs 15, verse 10. Excuse me. It says, cast out the scoffer. You know, I think you can use the word scoffer. If you cast out the scoffer, contention will cease, strive and reproach. It's also gone. So a place where people promote strife, you just have to let them go. Especially if you've re had repeated efforts to them to reconcile and they aren't, they are disturbing and destroying the unity 
of their spirits and their bond of peace. You have to let them go. That's it. And that'll be the end of strife. Amen. So we don't have to promote strife. And, and we also learn that secondly, when we have joy, we will have a gentle disposition towards all men. Amen.